0: It's good to see all of you here today. We appreciate very much your presence. We uh, Today is our family day, our friends' day, and uh, we have, well, if you're here and you are a visitor here, you're probably here because uh, somebody has uh, invited you to come and to be with us today, and uh, it's because they love you, and you know there are a lot of times through the year we just don't have Time to worship with friends and family. Maybe you come from out of town and you have a place where you worship and, and we just don't have the opportunity to get together. But that's what this day is for for us each year. We have set aside a day where we can um, come together as friends, as family, and uh, express our love for God as well. And so it's it's a day that we look forward to. And let me say this, by the way, is there? Uh, is we're okay? It's coming. All right. I was just making sure we're on the on the same page. Um, this morning, I want us to look at some things. The, the theme of this Friends and uh, Friends Day is all about um, the home and the influence that the home wields on ourselves, on our children, and we we certainly want that to be uh, positive. There's some good news and some bad news. The the bad news first. If you go to church every time you have the opportunity in the course of a week, you'll spend about 4 hours in church. That leaves 164 hours where you're not in church. And trying to counter that amount of time is sometimes very difficult and and if if we try to counter that time uh, you know, four hours weigh that against 164 hours. Boy, that that doesn't work so well. But here's the good news: if the church will partner with the home, then it's not a four hours versus 164 hour break. It's it's we we take Jesus with us, and Jesus lives in our homes, and 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 it's it's doable our homes, our children, our families, they don't have to be overwhelmed by the influence of the world because if we're working together with the church, if our families are working together with the church, then we may be the ones who are able to overwhelm our families and our loved ones with a sense of what is really important in life. And so that's what I take uh, pleasure in knowing and considering. But we have to make that decision to make our homes an extension of the church, or at least in the mission of the church, to glorify God in all that we do. Here at Carnes, we value friends, we value family, and again, that's one of the reasons why we do this is because You know, we certainly value and honor God, and one of the reasons, the reason that we're here today is to pay homage to Him. But at the same time, we want to also acknowledge that what God has given us is also good. And He's given us friends, and He's given us family, and uh, that is good. We take a lot of blessings for granted I think we take the blessings of our friendships. I think we take the blessings of our family, oftentimes for granted. It was a year ago yesterday for me that uh, my dad unexpectedly died. And ever since then, life has been very different. Um, I can't begin to tell you, many of you have gone through this, You, you know what I'm talking about, but... I can't begin to tell you how many times I have gone to make a phone call to him or have just wanted to, to talk to him or to ask him something or to share something with him and, and then only to realize I, I, I can't do that. He's, he's gone. It, it seems hard to believe. And when you, when you consider you know that, as I thought about that a lot yesterday, what it helped me to realize is how important family is and how important the relationships we have, how important those relationships are. Death is a hard teacher, but it does teach nonetheless. There are lessons that I can learn from death that I probably can't learn in any other way, and they're valuable lessons, but they're, they're painful lessons, but they're lessons nonetheless And I believe that because of my dad's passing, I value family more today than I I did before. And I hope that maybe we can say some things today that will help us to value our family, not only our physical family, but our church family as well. Four out of 168 hours a week, is that enough? Well, I'll I'll be the first to tell you no. No. It's not. If that's all we're doing for our children, if that's all we're doing for ourselves, then we're not doing very much. And the influence of the world will outweigh those four hours and, and will overwhelm those four hours and will become like the world. I need more than just four hours. And the good news, as I said, is this. We can have more than four hours a week if we allow the church to partner with our homes. And we leave here today not as, well, we'll pick up where we left off last Sunday. We'll pick that up again next Sunday. If we leave here today with a commitment to take what we have here to our homes, to take the ethics and the morals and the faith and the love and the grace that we talk about here. If we take that home with us and live those things out in our daily lives, then there's hope. Then then it's not that disparity in hours. In fact, I think the news is rather good. If the home, if the, if the time I spend at home in a week if I partner that with the church, then I have an overwhelming influence for things that are good and right and wholesome and godly. And that's what I want, us to encourage, I want to encourage us to do today. Back in 1986, there was a man by the name of Robert Fulgham. He wrote a book entitled, All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten." You've probably read it or heard of it. Maybe you've you've seen it. It's an interesting book. Um, he goes through and uh, goes through a number of things, just lessons he learned in kindergarten. He said, you know, if we would just, as adults, if we just go back and do those things that we talked about then, how much better off would we be? How How much trouble would we stay out of? If we just go back to kindergarten and live by the rules that your kindergarten teacher gave you. How much better would we behave? And, you know, some of the thoughts that he had to say in his lesson, in his book, you know, I I thought I'd just share them with you. Here are the kind of things that that book is about. He said, one of the lessons I learned in kindergarten is to share. He said, and that's a good lesson, isn't it? Learn to share. I think that maybe Jesus has talked about that a time or two. Uh, Play fair. Um, He said we need to refrain from hitting people. It's good advice. Um, Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own messes. Say you're sorry. Hold hands. And take naps every day. Um, You know, that's pretty good advice, isn't it? That's what they're taught in kindergarten, and think of how many life problems would be solved if we just go back and do those basic things. You see, it's, it's simple. And one of the things that, that Fogum said in his book is, you don't need an advanced degree to figure this stuff out. Our kindergarten age children know these things are good and right, and we should do them. It's available to us all. It's wisdom that even children understand. Well, if I can today, what I want to do is use that book and that title of that book as a backdrop for our lesson. Because I think that we could also not only say, as Fogham did, everything I really need to know I learned in kindergarten. But I think we could say this. If our churches partner with our homes, I think I could safely say everything I really need to know I learned at home. And... I'd like for us to give thought to that, and I'm going to share some personal anecdotes this morning, but I dare say that as I do, it may remind you of things that have happened in your home, things, memories that you have that have lasted a lifetime, glimpses of God and Jesus and and the morals of Jesus that you saw played out in your homes, they, they may come back to your mind this morning as I relate some of the things that I want to share with you as well today. But here's the premise. All I need to learn, all I really ever needed to know, I learned at home because my home was one in which partnered with the church. And when we left the building on Sunday and spent our four hours on, in church, it carried on. There wasn't a disconnect between the way we lived on Monday through Saturday and the way we lived on Sunday. And so let's, let's look at some lessons, some truths that I learned at home that I think are valuable lessons that, that we ought to learn and be mindful of today. First thing is this. I learned that some things are more valuable than money. That's a lesson a lot of people need to learn. There are a whole lot of people that haven't learned that lesson yet, even today. There are people that spend their life in pursuit of money. They will sell their soul for a dollar bill, and they have failed to understand that while money is valuable, it is not, there are some things better than money. Jesus, and maybe we need to be reminded of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, how that he said, you know, one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. There's more to life than money. That's what he's saying. And, and Paul warned us in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, that if you spend all your time uh, working and living for money, he said money is the root of all kinds of evil. People will pierce themselves. They will destroy themselves in a pursuit for more and more and more. The greed that people sometimes get consumed by destroys their life and destroys their influence. It, it destroys their hope of heaven. There's some things more important than money. And the home taught me that. How does it teach me that? Well, just this past week, I looked up a statistic on... Um, The internet, and I said, How much does it cost? I asked the question, How much does it cost to raise a child to the age of 18? You know, our government does a survey like that. The average cost of raising children, a child from zero to 18, you know what the average cost would be for families? $245,000. Now you say, there's no way I spent that much money on my kids. Well, when you stop and think about it, and here's how they break it down. They break it down into housing. You know, you buy a house that accommodates, you know, the size of your house. So they they take a part of your house payment. They take a part of the the transportation, the amount of cars you have, uh, the food that you spend on, uh, you know, feeding them, the the education, um, health insurance, miscellaneous, all those kind of things, clothes, And the average expense, according to our government, is $245,000. Wow. That's a lot of money. But, you know, the home has taught me, just in that point alone, there's some things more important than money. What do you get for $245,000? What do you get? Well, you get naming rights. First, middle, and last—that's pretty good. That, that was a lot of fun. Although I will say, I didn't know how Kim spelled. I got it wrong twice telling people Kim spelled our oldest daughter Kelly's name differently than I. I didn't get that right with her. She had it all different. Um, but uh, naming rights—first, middle, and last—you get glimpses of God every day in your children. You, you get to see the innocence of an unstained soul. You get giggles under the blankets at night. You get sticky kisses and, and hugs, bear hugs. You get uh, daring adventures in your backyard tent. You get to hold hands, sticky hands, oftentimes, and, and take walks. You you get to um, have a partner to blow bubbles and play games and just laugh and have fun. You get to have somebody that will make you laugh so hard that you cry. You get more love than uh, your heart can hold. You get to be somebody's hero. Those are just some of the things that you buy with that $245,000. You see, that has taught me that there's some things more important than money. Listen, I wouldn't trade my children for $245,000, would you? Money's good, and we all need it, but there's some things better than money. God tried to tell us that. Jesus has told us that. Paul reinforced that in 1 Timothy. And my home and your home has reinforced that truth as well. Money isn't everything. I learned that at home. Another lesson that I learned at home is that I have learned to see glimpses of God every day in places and in ways that I would never have thought possible. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 3, I think it's interesting as Jesus is talking about children. He said, listen, let me tell you something. Unless you be converted or changed and become like a little child, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on in the very next chapter or in Mark chapter 10, he, he's a little more emphatic because when they tried to keep all these children were running up to Jesus, and Jesus is busy, he's teaching people, and, and he we can't have these kids bothering Jesus. And so the disciples are trying to push the kids back. And Jesus said, Let the little children come to me. But he didn't say it like that. He was moved, Mark said, with indignation. He was angry that the disciples would shoo the kids. And he said, let the little children come to me. Jesus saw great value in children. And, you know, I think one of the reasons is because it's, it's people whose souls are like the souls of those children that will be in heaven someday. They're innocent. I think of, and I'm going to share some things when I was um, when Kelly was just a little girl, and she's here, and that's why I'm going to use her as an illustration. I hope it's okay. Um, we were sitting in the car. We would play these little games, or I would play these little games, and we were sitting in the car, and we were watching this armored car get unloaded. And so this guy's there; he has a gun, and and he's unloading all these bags of money, and we're sitting right there watching all that in the car. And I I said, Kelly, you know, I think I'm just going to go over there and bop that guy on the head and take that money. And then I just sat back and waited. And what I expected to hear was, Daddy, you can't do that. You'll get shot. Daddy, if you do that, you'll go to jail. You know what she said? She said, Daddy, you can't do that. And I said, why not? And she said, that'll make God sad. Wow, I wasn't expecting an answer like that. I mean, that surpassed my expectations. And again, it it showed me she cut right to the chase. You know, I'm talking about consequences temporal in nature. I, I can't do that. I'll get shot. I'll go to jail. You know, these things will happen. But she saw straight to the heart of the issue. You can't do that because that'll make God sad. Those are the kind of glimpses of God that you get to see on a day-to-day basis in your homes. Matthew, we were sitting in the car one time, and Matthew was in the back, and actually, we were waiting for Kim, and and there was a a basketball game on, and I was missing the game. I was trying to listen on the radio, and um, Matthew started talking from the back of the car, and he got my attention. He said, Dad, and I said, what? I was a little perturbed, and he said, why do people give Mother Nature credit for the things that God does? Again, I was like one of those, wow, where did that come from? I didn't even know he knew what Mother Nature was. He was probably six years old at the time, and, and I hadn't even known that he knew that expression. But it did. It set me to thinking, why do we say Mother Nature this, Mother Nature that? Are we ashamed of God, or is it a veiled uh, way to say, is it an unoffensive way to say, that uh, reference God? I, I don't know, but boy, it set me to thinking. And, and it's a six-year-old that's making me wonder, why, why do we do that? You see, again, to the heart of the matter. A number of years ago, Anne-Marie was, um, we'd been to camp, and I may have shared some of this with you before, but we had been to camp, and Kim had been gone to her mother's house for a while. And and uh, so she was just little, and she was homesick for her mama. Her mom was coming back the next day. And so about midnight, I got a knock on my cabin door, and it was one of the ladies, and she said, um, Anne-Marie's Ann crying. She's homesick. Uh, and so I said, It'll, I, I guess I'll go take her home and acted like that was such a chore you should see the beds I have to sleep in at camp. They're not long enough. And so I was anxious to to go home, you know, and take her home and wait for her mama the next day and go back to camp. So we go home at midnight, and I was awakened in the morning by Anne-Marie throwing my door open. I heard the door hit the wall, and I looked up, and here she's coming with two bowls of cereal. They have milk in them. And my first thought, she carried those upstairs. There's going to be milk all over the steps. And she brought me this, and she handed me this bowl of Cheerios, and then she took a, a bowl to her sister down the hall. And then she came back in and jumped in bed with me. And I said, hey, Marie, why, why did you, why'd you bring me breakfast in bed? You've never done that before. And she said, Daddy, all week long during the devotional periods at camp, you've been talking about how that Jesus went about doing good And I just wanted to be like Jesus. I may eat at some swanky restaurants and eat some, you know, highfalutin food. But I'm telling you, that's the best meal I've ever had. Uh, Because again, you know, she got it. The connection, man, the glimpses of God that you get to see in families that partner with the church. You know, it, it registers. That's what I I learned that God can be seen in some of the most unlikely places. But I learned that at home because home has partnered with the church. I also learned that long suffering. I I learned that in home in the home. I learned long suffering in the home. Second Peter chapter three and verse nine says. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That verse says God is patient. He is long-suffering with us. He suffers a long time with us before he actually acts. And then if you go on down just a little bit further in that same chapter and look at verse 15, it tells us that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. Aren't you glad God is long-suffering? Were it not for His long-suffering, we'd be lost. But because He's long-suffering, we have salvation. What if God wouldn't put up with? What if He acted on impulse and dealt with us according to our sin? we wouldn't have a chance. But God is long-suffering. And you know, that's a quality that, because it's a quality that God possesses, I need to possess. But I learned that quality in home. I learned about long-suffering in home. One day my dad was working in the yard and we had one of those plug-in weed eaters. And uh, not a gas-powered one, it was plug-in. And I, I came around the house And I saw that it was unplugged. We had this external outlet, and I saw that the the cord had been unplugged. I was just trying to be helpful, so I plugged it in. Little did I know, my dad was trying to fix the frayed cord on the other side. He had a paring knife, a metal paring knife, and, and he had just cut through that. And when he did, I heard this, boom! And I came around on the breezeway, and I looked in there, and my dad was sitting there, and he just had this stunned look. He had the knife in one hand. It had it had eaten a hole in the blade in his hand. His fist was all black. And he was just stunned. He, he, but you know what? He didn't say a word to me. He didn't say a word to anyone for about three days, come to think of it. But no, I, I'm kidding. But yeah. But, I mean, he understood that, I, and I told him, I said, I didn't know you were doing that. I, I, saw, I thought you pulled it too far, and it just came undone, and I plugged it back in. And he, he didn't give me a lecture. I, I still remember that. He understood. I, I understand long-suffering. I learned about that at home. That's, that's a quality of God. I also understand and learned about Sincerity. At home. That's something that God is interested in as well. It's an ethic that uh, we need to um, develop and, and embrace. In Ephesians 6 and verse 24, Paul pronounces a grace to be upon all those who love the Lord in sincerity. We can play games, we can say the right verbiage. But do you really love the Lord really? Is it sincere when you say it? Philippians 1 verse 10 talks about those that are sincere, and he tells us to be sincere till the day of Christ. So that's something that the Lord wants us to learn. Be a person of sincerity, of, of authenticity. I learned that at home. I learned what it means to be sincere at home. My dad, when he preached, would go to the back of the building after he finished the sermon, and I would always walk back with him when I was little just to get to stand up and get out of the pew, I suppose. And, and I'd be standing in the back while they had a closing uh, song and the announcements to close out, and, and then, my, then they would have the closing prayer. And I can remember as a child... Watching my dad, I was, I, he didn't know I was watching, but I would watch. I, I, when it's prayer time, I would bow my head, but then I'd close one eye and peek up at him, you know, and, and see what he was doing. And when I did that, I saw, I can still see, his eyes were so tightly closed as he prayed. He wasn't just killing time at the back. He hadn't just finished his obligation to get a paycheck it was real to him i still have that that image in my mind i learned sincerity but i learned that at home and i'll share one more with you i learned that love and discipline they go hand in hand i learned that at home In John 3 and verse 16, it's not a passage we often think of with reference to discipline, but it really is. The passage says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That word, so, is an adverb of manner. It tells us God loved the world in this way. In what way? That he gave his only begotten Son. But, but look back to the verses prior. You know what he says? He references that time when God was put out with his people because of their sin, and he sent serpents in among them. And the serpents were biting the people, and they were dying. And, and they cried out to him and asked for mercy. And God said, raise up a brazen serpent and put it on this pole And if you look to it, you'll be spared of death when those snakes bite you. It's in that manner. You're worthy of death, and I am punishing you. But there's salvation. God didn't remove the penalty just because the people cried out. He made a way for them to escape the penalty that they deserved. It's in that manner that God loves us. The love of God is not this emotional thing that, hey, you can do whatever you want, and at the end of the day, after all, he's your father. You know, he's not going to do anything. He'll let you by. He's not going to hold you accountable. He loves you too much. No, God loves you in the same way that he loved them back then when they were punished but he made a way of escape. God will punish those who don't look to Jesus. That's the manner in which he still loves us today. Love and punishment go hand in hand. Read the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through about verse 11. And listen to his discussion about discipline. If you're a child of God, he said, well, you'll be disciplined. You're going to get spanked a few times. Because everybody knows that a father will discipline his son. And if he doesn't discipline you, then you must not be his son. Everybody knows that a father loves his children and disciplines them to bring them into proper behavior. And it's not fun. And it's painful, but it's done for our good. It's love and discipline hand in hand. I, I, I think that that's exactly what I learned at church. Love doesn't do away with discipline. A number of years ago, I was just a little boy. We went to church at a gospel meeting someplace about 20 miles away, and I was misbehaving at church. And I remember my dad leaning down and looking over and said, when we get home, you're going to get spanked. Well, boy, I shaped up. Uh, we had this little ping pong paddle in the hall closet, and I wanted no part of it. And so I was the model child listening to everything the rest of the way. And when we went home that night, we got in the car, and my sister and I were in the back seat, and my mom and dad are in the front. And that was, the day, that was before seat belts. I was right up there, you know, and they had that bench seat all the way across the front. My arms are up there and my head's right there on that front seat. I'm just engaging mom and dad in conversation. I was the most pleasant little boy. How could you ever think of disciplining me after I had done that? That's what I was hoping for. I tried to just like, you know, pull the wool over their eyes. And so we got home and my dad, when we walked home, I thought, I've got it made. Because he talked to me, and we engaged, and not a thing was said. And when we got home, he went straight to the closet and got that paddle out. Oh, I thought I'd beaten it. You know, well, I did get beaten. I don't know if I, something happened with a beating. But there's that, did my dad love me? Yes. Did he discipline me? Yes, because he loved me. I learned that at home. And it's a character trait of God. If, if you're his child and he loves you, he'll discipline you when you get out of line. So what I'm trying to say is, it doesn't have to be a four hours with religious instruction versus 164 hours of secular instruction, not at all. If the home will partner with the church if we will take our Christianity out of this building today and live it every day of the week, we can overwhelm the influence of the world. When we add up the hours at home and with the church and and put that against what society, what our culture throws against us, the odds are in our favor. So my challenge to you today is to be thankful for your family, be thankful for your homes that have partnered with the church and the advantage that has given you. And if you look at your home and decide, you know, I need to be doing better, then make those changes. This is a call today to do better, to to equip not only your children, but equip your wife, equip your husband, equip your mom and dad with better odds and, and better resources to defeat the world that tugs against you. Let's partner our homes and our church, and let's make an impact for Christ. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a child of God, I want to encourage you to obey the gospel. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. I I absolutely trust Jesus. I believe he said that. I believe he meant that. And if you haven't done that this morning, I ask that you trust him as well. And he'll do exactly as he promised. If you're a child of God already, but unfaithful, or maybe your home isn't what it ought to be, and, and you just want prayers to make it what it ought to be, we'll pray with you if you'll come as we stand together and sing.